Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales for your business to acquire more customers through traffic and other sources. And today we're going to get to the bottom of attribution, Qasem Aslam. Finally. My favorite We're going to figure it all out. The topic nobody really wants to talk about, but we're going to talk about it. Everybody wants the answer. Nobody has a solution. (laughs) So we're hoping our guest here today actually has somewhat of a solution. So how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Can I champion this topic for a moment for people who are now searching for a different podcast to listen to? Yeah, seeing how we pumped it up so well here in the opening. Yeah. Yeah, This is the single most important conversation in marketing. This is it, dude. You know, it's that quote, half my advertising budget is wasted. The problem is I just don't know which half. Mm-hmm. It's now no longer half. It's probably 90%. Yeah. And worse, the entire ecosystem that we're being given is in some ways built to confuse you because it's other companies trying to grab market share. So I know it's not sexy, but you know, if you're CMO, director of marketing, business owner, the good news is, is you don't have to solve this problem. You have to go tell somebody on your team to solve this problem or hire somebody to solve this problem. I think, again, if you're running traffic, it's the single most important conversation for you to have. I think it absolutely it's is. It's like people that want to go to the gym. You have to talk nutrition. You actually can't talk lifting first. You have to talk nutrition first. Attribution is nutrition. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a good example. So I'm in the CEO group, and a lot of people are not really digital. There's, like, there's no marketing experts in there, so it's kind of cool. It's a good group for me to be in. And there was a guy that you present your number one problem at the beginning of each group. And then we try to solve it within like five to 10 minutes. Never really last five to 10 minutes. It's always like a half hour on each person. But his biggest problem was, and everyone in the room was shaking their head saying, yep, same problem is he's running an eight figure plus business. He doesn't have a CMO. He doesn't have a director of marketing, but he has four different people running all of his marketing for him couple of paid ad agencies, like a content marketing, SEO. He's like, well, the business is doing well right now, but I have no idea which channels, what I should do more of. The only way that I'll know is if I stop spending on meta and then seven days later, I don't have any more sales because his window is seven days in most cases, which is rare because oftentimes it might be longer you know, we've talked about sort of longer attribution windows and so forth. I'm like, well, first off, everyone's in the room like, yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah, you should like, you're spending way too much. You spend $70,000 a month on Facebook. And so yeah, I'm just going to shut it all off. I'm like, well, wait a second. Hold on, guys. Don't do that because right now is spring. It's actually as busy as time of year. If you want to see your business tank, you can do that. But the point was, is like at the end of the day, he doesn't know which channel which thing that he's doing is actually doing the heavy lifting for his business, not necessarily the last click attribution per se, but it's like, how does it all work together? And I know there's listeners that are out there, whether you're a CEO, whether a CMO, whether a director of marketing, you have this exact problem. And 
that's the problem that we're going to discuss here today with today's guest, which is Frederick Boysen. He's the CEO and founder of ProfitMetrics.io. Welcome to Perpetual Traffic. You're going to solve all of our attribution problems today. I am 100% sure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So before we get into it, you have a little nugget you can give the Perpetual Traffic listeners. Something that you know that maybe they don't know or haven't thought of that they can implement in their business now to make some impact. Maybe use in Google Ads the new customer tag. So until now, we have actually asked Google's algorithm for acquiring more existing customers. So if you're running on a ROAS or a POAS, normally a customer coming back have maybe purchased a couple of times. They have a bigger basket size. They convert higher because they know the brand. Where a new customer, in most cases, buy a little bit less. Maybe they have to look around. You have to get more clicks in to actually convince them to buy. So they are more expensive. You're actually paying more and getting less in for a new customer where an existing customer brings you more and it's cheaper to acquire. Until now, you have actually asked Google to go out and acquire more existing customers, where now you can set this tag and remember not to use the cookies because cookies get deleted that most people do because all of them is just new customers. So go in and actually ask down in the CRM system and if it's a new or an existing customer, add that in the Google Ads tag, upload existing customer lists so Google can actually match these lists up so they know which customers are new or existing. And then you can use something like Performance Max to acquire, go out and try and acquire only new customers. Of course, you will also get some existing ones, but then you can be much more aggressive on those because you're actually separating them up. Don't use that extra value because Google will screw up your reporting. I had a client that went in and had added like, I think it was $100 per new customer. Then they just set it as the cookie and all of the customers looked as new ones and they couldn't understand why there was more revenue in or profit in the ad account than there actually was in their e-commerce backend. So don't use that because Google don't separate that value for the new customer. It's super good for actually get the algorithm to steer on it or steer or bid more for new customers. But instead, in my opinion, separate the campaigns up and make sure you actually provide Google that first-party data so it actually know if it's new or existing customers. That's my nugget. This is especially helpful for people in the consumable space because Google loves to sell you your customers back to you. And it's getting harder to filter those out. And here's a mechanism that allows you to kind of approach it straight down the center of the lane. Frederick, in your experience, how good is Google's match when you upload your customers? What percentage does it usually capture? Is there any way to know that? Yeah, it shows. I think it's most often more than 90 if you add also a phone number percent. I was going to say that too. Our our, our experience with Google's customer match is about 90%. Yeah, if it's correct or not, we don't know. Exactly, exactly. So you're in Denmark, how do you yeah. get around this in the EU, though? Yeah, that is hard. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. No, but we can't talk about can't that talk about, publicly. Oh, right. come on. Yeah. This is a nugget of yeah. nuggets. But we are actually talking about a subject today that is GA Notice is illegal in Denmark. That one. It, it, it is illegal <laughs> to dodge, use Frederick. Google Analytics in Denmark. It's illegal? Well, it's illegal in the entirety of the European Union, isn't it? Exactly. But it came to Denmark. There was actually some court that actually found it illegal. In my son's school, they are not allowed to use Chromebooks 
it's wow. it's crazy. Wow. So right now, if you want to use analytics legally, you actually have to go in and proxy everything. So you're not allowed to use UTMs and so on. So you can actually just see how many visitors there was and you cannot really connect them together. It's crazy, but there is coming some EU laws now where they say that the States is not a third party or a third country data provider. So there is some regulations coming, but as for now, analytics is illegal in Denmark and actually also Google Ads and Facebook must also be because it's American owned companies. That's so hard to contend with. As you say those words out loud, I'm like, I don't know what I would do to hurdle that. I think I would have to just move. I wouldn't know how to find my way around, you know, that type of sweeping legislation. Oh, it's crazy. And they cannot just make a company with only servers in the EU. It's because it's American owned. But new regulations are coming from the EU. Hopefully soon this will change because this is this is crazy. Yeah, well, new regulations are coming for the U.S. So actually, Ralph, one of our previous guests, Lauren Petrullo, on Monday is testifying before Congress on some of the traffic bills that have been introduced. And she said that she's read the legislation and they'd be deadly to small businesses. In this particular instance, it's less about tracking than it is targeting, but you basically wouldn't be able to target anybody based off of any life event, which is a really significant percentage of the targeting and an even greater percentage of the effective targeting that you can use for outbound top of funnel. Hmm. Yes, things, the plot thickens here <laughs> in the traffic world. <laughs> I mean, we went from great visibility to less visibility to even less visibility. How, as a marketer, are you actually going to deal with this and continue to scale and grow your business and acquire new customers? That's what we're going to be talking about here today. So, Frederick and Kasim and I will be back with the solution to that problem right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com 
forward slash PT. And we're back with Frederick Boyson talking about everybody's least favorite topic, attribution. Which, again, if you're just not joining us, I made a point before the break. I think this is the most important topic in the entirety of marketing. And if you really want to go straight at the bottom line, if you want to go for improved profitability, improved performance, this is where you go. It's understanding your tracking and your attribution to greater degrees. And Ralph's been funny this entire time saying that there's a solution coming and it's a tongue-in-cheek comment because there really isn't a button that can be pressed. But there are things that can be done to reduce how opaque the problem becomes for you. And this is true for small and large businesses. You don't have to have a ton of money. You just have to be consistent and willing to do a little bit of the hard work. Would you agree with that, Frederick? What's the message of hope that you'd offer our listeners? Because it's going to get a little messy here pretty soon. So let's protect them from us starting out? How should they approach this from a paradigm perspective? In my opinion, you have to go a little bit back and look at the financial numbers and look at how is your business actually doing? Trying to not only do marketing, but also connect it with financial numbers. Look what's going on in your CRM. What is going on in your Shopify store? Pull those data out, calculate what kind of profit you have, pull in ad spend, look at the contribution margin, look at your fixed cost, what kind of net profit is left. Look at those kind of numbers because then you at least have that view of your business. How is it going right now? I'm not overspending. Maybe you're underspending. If you have a good contribution margin, then you can go more aggressive. I think that's a really good point to start because then at least you know that you are safe. So would you recommend for any of these traffic-based conversations and paid traffic, whether it's paid traffic plus your marketing team's expense or your agency's expense, whatever it happens to be, you've got gross profitability, which is basically your profit after your cost of goods sold. And then you have contribution margin, which is COGS minus marketing spend, whether or not you include your marketing team in there. Is it really just a matter of figuring out, okay, what's my desired profitability? And I want to take that out as a percentage. And then after that, that's the cost I can use in order to acquire a customer. Take us from step one all the way before we even get to attribution, because I think this is the thing that gets glossed over a lot. You know, John Moran has done a ton of videos on this. We've done a ton of videos on it on our YouTube channel, because it's the most important thing that I think business owners don't really have a firm grasp on it. If they do, they're the exception to the rule. And I think anybody listening to this show, if they don't know what their cost to acquire a customer is or the lifetime value of their customer, like that's a problem because then all this stuff we're talking about is sort of irrelevant. So talk us through that step one, step two, step three, before we even get into any of the attribution stuff. Yeah. One of the things is also, if you have enough contribution margins to actually cover your fixed cost, you also have more budget to actually experiment on and try different things. So I think I would actually start there find out what kind of fixed cost you have, agencies, warehouse, salaries, softwares. What is that number? Then look at your contribution margin. How much leftover is there? If it's not covering your fixed cost, you have a problem. Either you need to lower those fixed costs or else maybe you need to get more volume in with a lower profitability to cover those fixed costs. So you can also scale yourself out of it. But these two have the contribution margin and the fixed cost have to have a good correlation because otherwise you will go out of business at some point. You can, of course, get funding all the time, but the smaller business needs to have some kind of healthy relationship between those two. So look at the revenue coming in. 
what kind of profit is there before ad spend? Looking at that, for example, the Cox shipping expenses, free shipping, payment fees, handling cost. What kind of profit is there there? Because you can also get more volume in by just discounting, but suddenly that percentage of gross profit on the revenue goes down. And then minus the ad spend, what's left over in that contribution margin? So it's a really good way to actually look at, is things working? Because if you bump up your Facebook spend, maybe you cannot measure it in attribution, but you can measure it if it's a positive thing, your contribution margin should go up because that volume goes in and you get more gross profit than the ad spend you're spending on it. That should give you a positive impact. If it doesn't, something is probably wrong. So I think that's a good way of looking at your business holistically. So it really becomes a math problem at the end of the day. And then marketing is math, in my opinion. It's, you know, you have to pay for it somehow. Dude, that's a writer downer right there. Marketing is math. I think I just fell in love with you, Frederick. That is, <laughs> that just rings so true because people think that, and you know, there's a quote, it's uh, Onyx and Gall. He says that people think marketing is a creative endeavor. It's not. It's a data-driven endeavor with creative elements. And you took that even further. Marketing is math. And so if you're a director of marketing, you don't have to be good at the math, but you have to have somebody on your team that is, that you can rely on so you can make these decisions. Exactly. It's not Don Draper. It's not sitting around with a glass of scotch trying to think about like what turn of phrase is really going to move people. That can be part of it later, but first you have to know what you can spend to get in front of those people in the first place. And you two protect me from myself here. Here's my very soft opinion. And you know, it's a strong opinion loosely held, we'll say. If you don't know, go use napkin math. How much did you spend last year? How many new customers did you get last year? Spend divided by customers just became your CAC. Done. Don't obsess over it. It's better than not knowing anything. So your cost to acquire customers, just what you spent last year divided by the number of customers you have. Now, is that elegant? No. Does it take into consideration time lag? No. Who cares? Go get a number to put on your whiteboard. How many customers, how much money have you made in total divided by how many customers you have in total? You have your LTV. Done. There's a whole bunch of reasons that that's massively flawed, but it's better than nothing. And now you have a number to beat. And then every month you get more sophisticated in the way you track. Here's the thing too, is let's remove the shame glaze. Ralph was saying this before we started recording. It is unbelievable how many massive businesses have no idea. Just don't do this work. So you shouldn't feel bad about it, but you should correct it now. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Go figure out what's your cost to acquire a new customer what's your lifetime value of that customer? And if you have those two data points, those are the two fundamental building blocks. Everything else you can build on top of. You should be able to go get those numbers in, I don't know, a couple of minutes with your QuickBooks open up. So if you don't have them, go get them. And then now you have the napkin math to beat. So it's new customers. Like you need a benchmark somewhere. We say, you know, you can look back three months, six months, 12 months. It doesn't really even matter. If you know what your life cycle for your business is, like the business owner that I met with in this CEO group has a seven-day cycle. He's like, past seven days, we basically lose them. So I was like, well, what are you tracking? Well, we're tracking leads. And, you know, my Facebook guy says, I'm getting a really great cost per lead. I'm like, well, how much are you paying to acquire the customer though? He's like, I have no idea. How does the conversion actually happen? It doesn't happen digitally. Oh, we get on the phone with them and then we enter it into the CRM. The first thing that I said is, all right, well, you need offline conversions, you know, to be able to <laughs> sort of shoot that data back into Google and Facebook as a base level. And he was like, what the hell is that? 
everybody in the group was like writing that down like it was some sort of lightning bolt out of the sky. But at least, okay, now we're talking about a customer as opposed to a lead because he didn't really even know what I should pay to acquire a lead. And then the next question was, what's the lifetime value of a customer? Didn't know that either. This is a guy with an eight-figure-plus business, 20-some-odd salons in the Massachusetts area, like super sharp guy. My point is, is like he didn't know. How is he going to grow? He's like, ah, well, the business is growing. That's all I know. <laughs> so before you answer the attribution question, you need to know that. So at a base level, go back and look what you spent last year. And for us, what we look at, we look at ad spend plus our entire marketing team. What did that cost us? And then we say, how many new customers did we acquire? And then that's our baseline CAC right there. We want to up our profitability, lower our profitability, maybe to expand, but that's at least our baseline. And then we'll look at, go back the last 12 months, how many total customers do we have, right? Into your CRM and then divide it by your revenue. And then that's at least your lifetime value in a 12-month span. So there's two metrics right there that I'll guarantee you like 90% of people listening don't know. I'm not saying that's exact by any stretch. And we'll leave links in the show notes of how to do it. Like I said, John Moran does this really well. We've got a whole host of videos on it because it's the basics of everything. Marketing is math. Because before we start talking about Don Draper and you know cool creatives and the creative lab and all these other sorts of things and attribution, like you got to know that first. I think we need to beat this horse continuously, Kasim, if we're really trying to serve our listener here because it's amazing how many people don't know. So anyway, am I on my soapbox here? I'll step off for a second. I love soapboxes. All right. Yeah. So let's assume, you know what happens when you assume, you know, it's not a you and me, let's assume that somebody knows those numbers. Now let's go into the attribution side of the equation. There's some big news that came out. Maybe, Kasim, you can intro this better than probably I can. Uh, one of the reasons why Frederick is actually on the show here today, GA4 is now clouding this even more so. And there's some startling things that are happening on the Google side. Maybe you can just sort of explain things from a 30,000 foot level and then we can dig into the weeds a little bit more. Yeah. So if you're not, you got to follow Frederick on LinkedIn because he posts some really solid content. And I follow him on LinkedIn and he posts. It got 208 comments, by the way, Frederick. Did you know that? Like this, this went viral. 228 reposts too. That's yeah. For LinkedIn, that's huge. That's a lot. I think it had like 250,000 views. Did it really? That's amazing. So Google's basically rolling out its own cross-channel conversion tool, its own attribution product that's going to either live inside and or align with GA4. And I think this is a critical discussion to have because I actually believe that Google's data is already dangerous. If you begin trusting what Google says about other people's data, which is what I think this is going to do, obviously, since it's cross-channel, that furthers the danger. A, I think we should let people know what it is and what's going to happen. And then B, I think we should talk about some of the implications, when to use it, because I'm not saying to ignore it at all, no, no. but when to use it, how to use it, how to protect yourself. And that to me feels like the meat and potatoes of this discussion. Frederick, how do you feel? Yeah, I believe that on paper, this is one of the greatest things happening to the Google space in a long time. But I also say on paper, because what data is actually in there? Maybe going back to what it was before, because actually a lot of marketers thought this were already what was happening when you imported into Google Ads from GA4. I made a post, I think it was last summer, saying why you shouldn't use GA 
import for performance max, you should use Google Ads tracking because you got more signals. Where a lot of people wrote that, no, I'm using data-driven. So it's already taking into consideration all these other channels when it's importing into Google. And yeah, the documentation in Google were very cryptic, but it actually was not before now. So I believe it's an amazing thing that they actually opened up for this, but can you actually count on the data? And will you just count on this data to be the truth? And then you just based all your marketing spend on that. Uh, I think it could be pretty harming for many if they just think that, yeah, Google, Facebook and other channels have actually been taken away from that value that is imported to Google Ads. And that's what this would do, right? This would tell you the impact Facebook Ads is having if you're running other ad channels, programmatic display, and then try to guide you as to your optimization decisions across channels, including but also beyond Google Ads. Yeah. So before it was, if you started a journey on Google shopping, went in on the site and it ended up on a Facebook retargeting ad where you clicked on that one. Analytics would report that the last click was Facebook, which means when it imported into Google Ads, it was a Facebook click. So Google got no credit at all, where nobody probably ended up in that retargeting audience on that purchase if they didn't come from Google. So Google didn't see any signal, which probably is not the best for performance max, where now if it has actually connected those two journeys together, for example, with the linear model, it would give 50% to Facebook, 50% to Google, and then 50% of that credit should be imported into Google, which is incredible if it actually did that. If it actually works, that's right. Yeah. But to the point that you made earlier, first of all, they're taking away conversion modeling, our ability to reconcile, which turns this into this and the rest of the Google ecosystem into something of a black box. And it becomes very difficult for us to see whether or not it's working because we don't get to see the building blocks. We only get to see the output. Exactly, exactly. And a typical journey is like, Ralph, he makes this perfect video ad with a great hook. I click in on my iOS iPhone device. I'm in the in-app. I look around. This is amazing. I leave the site. A couple of days later, I make a Google search for this product. And Kasim, you are there in the Google shopping. I click on it. I go in and make a purchase. Because I didn't identify myself on that mobile device in-app, Google will just see, okay, this is a user coming, clicking in on some kind of shopping ad, making a purchase. So GA4 will report that 100% went to Google. If it then imports 100% into Google Ads and I'm sitting there as a marketer and saying, okay, it has already taken away all that credit that should have gone to Facebook or TikTok or the other channels. So now I can really, I have a positive ROAS or POAS, so I can really scale up now. That could be really, really dangerous if it actually haven't done that cross device identification, which is incredibly hard due to privacy and also just people don't identify themselves up top funnel. You know what this reminds me of? In the US during Prohibition, the government funded speakeasies. There's a book about this and I forget the name of the book right now, but it was a really fun read. And basically what they realized is, okay, alcohol is illegal, but people are definitely going to drink. And so they opened their own speakeasies unbeknownst to people. It wasn't public information. You know, it's like funded through a back channel, but they did it because at least they could see who's going, what are they doing? And they can kind of control the narrative and the flow of traffic. So they know there are going to be these outlets, no matter what, we might as well own them so that we can control the damage. Google knows no matter what, there needs to be cross-channel tracking. There needs to be attribution tracking. And so they're funding us to the Google-funded speakeasy. 
and giving us their data because at least then they can control the narrative. And I have to be honest, I haven't seen it in play, but I am going to be very skeptical of Google's reporting because Google massively, massively overreports its own impact. And I don't see that changing here in the cross-device world. It would be really hard for a publicly traded profit-driven company to roll out a product that advises people to spend less on their core service offering. It'd be very altruistic, like very, very pat on the back worthy is all. I've never seen another company do anything like that. No, that is the thing. Do you actually rather want to know that, okay, if there have happened a conversion and Google were in on this journey with Google Ads tracking, Google takes 100% of that credit and then divide it out with some data-driven or linear or whatever attribution model within Google's network, that we know that Google is not the only touch properly in this journey, but now we have the full data. We get more signals into Google Ads algorithm to work on, but we know that this is Google's source of truth. I believe that I would rather have that for the bidding algorithm, make sure Google works as good as it can, give it as many conversions, and then go back and look at those numbers like contribution margin, what is actually happening, are we getting more new customers in, what are we spending, and so on. And then make sure that Google have all the signals instead of taking these fractional credits away where we don't know if they actually was taken away or not, because that's probably the problem. If we could see the data, this is amazing. This is, yeah, this is huge. If it actually was taking away all the credit for all the channels before importing, it's just very hard to know. Also now they are removing first click, linear, and so on. So you can see data-driven and you can see last click. So how do we actually see then the Google GA4 signals, which can do the cross-device and view through from Google Ads, ad personalization? It's great, but it's not on iOS devices and it removes in GA4. I think it's like if there's under 50 users on some kind of channel, it removes that channel from you viewing it because then you can actually go back and identify which user did what. It's really, really hard to actually validate this data. Is it correct or not? And if you based all your ad spend in Google on that it is correct, I believe it could be potentially dangerous. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the loss of first click for me is such a tragedy. Before smart shopping was rolled into Performance Max, that was one of our tricks. It was a secret sauce to smart shopping was use first click because smart shopping was so acquisitive. It was all about user acquisition. And so we pushed smart shopping towards user acquisition with the understanding that the remarketing campaign would bring people back and close them. We just needed smart shopping to go get out in front of them. So not having first click means Google's basically turning off the ability to see which of my campaigns are acquiring my prospects. And things like that, the loss of visibility and control in that way, I just don't think there's an excuse for it. Like, why wouldn't I have that information? Why wouldn't I at least be allowed to see it? You know, the official narratives that they're offering, I don't think add up. I think it really is, hey, we're backing you into a black box because we want to be able to force you to use our AI at the end of the day. And the more you know, the less likely you are to let us do that. Am I getting too tinfoil hat, Ralph? Yeah. <laughs> a bit. Be interesting to see what Frederick thinks of that. I also think it's a privacy thing. Google is a big company. Other countries are looking at what they're doing. Where some of these, you had Wicked Report, Scott, I think he's called, on a couple of shows ago, where his tool or other similar tools, we also have a first-party attribution tool in beta, but those kind of tools 
you own the data. You also do that essentially in GA4, but you own the data and you can actually go in and say, okay, maybe it doesn't track all the journeys. It can never connect all the devices together. It's not possible. But at least you can see those journeys and you can see the raw data underneath it. And I believe that's an important thing to actually be able to say, okay, I know it's not the full truth, but this is sort of my truth. And I know that this is the data. And then when you're steady working on the same kind of model and the same way of tracking, that should impact your marketing spend in a good way over time. What I'm failing to understand here is why this is so horrible. You know, if you're getting more of the truth, take us through maybe sort of a scenario like we just discussed. You see a Facebook ad and then you get Google shopping. It's usually the reverse. <laughs> Actually, it was no, you said saw the Google shopping ad and then was retargeted through a Facebook ad. Actually, that's the example I think you use in your post, which we'll leave a link to that post in the show notes here. But it's like, if you're splitting up the credit, where am I going wrong here? Like, why is that a bad no, thing? No, no, that's great. That is totally awesome. But the problem is, if you start your journey like that on Google Shopping, and then you go to your mobile device, and then you click on maybe the other one where on a desktop, you click on your iPhone and you make that purchase. If Google don't see that purchase actually from Facebook, they see it from Facebook, but they cannot connect it to Google, then Google will not get credit from this. If they cannot connect these two together, if you're counting on the data that it does, then you might be in trouble. And that is where, for example, but Google Facebook Ads tracking. Would. Yeah. My point is, if I'm looking at both channels, maybe this is our solution, which we're going to be talking about here in a second, is looking at multi-channel and bringing them in aggregate all together in sort definitely, of a cohesive definitely. way, you can now get a truer view of things. Like Google isn't gobbling up all the credit. They're doling out, or maybe not even showing, but at the very least, you're going to get maybe a modeled conversion on Facebook if it's on an iOS device. But you're going to get something. You're going to be able to see some impact of that spend or that spend across channel. And I'm sure there's other interactions and the typical interaction before somebody actually buys, whether it's 500 touch points, as custom says, or it's seven, like traditional marketing says, I don't know what it is. It's somewhere in between. It's chaos. It's not one click and one sale. That's all I know. But that's not a bad thing. If you're looking at things from a 30,000 foot view, I'm just putting my CMO hat on and saying, all right, how do I figure out how to ramp up my spend if my advertising seems to be working? Or where do I rechannel things if it's not working? That's sort of the operative question. I think you're totally right, because looking at Facebook, Facebook would get this. GA4 might not, but Google might, if you had Google Ads tracking, because on that Facebook click, Google have no identification between these two devices. But then sure. you add the enhanced conversion that hash mailed, and suddenly on that desktop, you started the journey on, you were actually logged into Gmail or Google or YouTube or whatever it was, and then it can actually connect it. So you'll give more signals to Google Ads by doing that, and then you can improve your marketing spend inside Google on that. The same with Facebook, because you have the conversion API, maybe it's a model conversion, but you have that data in there, and then you can improve that. And then you get that holistic view of looking at how is your business actually doing in this period, where you scaled up Facebook. Okay, I rammed up Facebook by 2x, on the ad spend, how is it actually impacting my bottom line? How is that contribution margin going up? Or am I gaining more new customers than normally? I believe that looking at the marketing channels as silos and working in there and then have that holistic view. I just don't believe that GA4 will be able to connect these together. So if you inside Google, import it and then count on that data for the algorithm to be the truth, 
then I think it's perfect for reporting. It's good for reporting. Import it in and then do the reporting in Google on that. But I don't believe you will get as many conversion signals with GA4 as you would with Google Ads tracking together with enhanced conversions and so on. So is the solution just to use like a Wicked Reports or a North Beam or Triple Well? We won't say hi, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's, what would be your solution? We've had Wicked Scott on here many times. He wants to come on like every week, of course, Gossam, because he seems to think that people listening to the show want to hear what he has to say, which is probably true. And Wicked Reports is a good product. So what would be the answer if GA4 is not uh, I, the be-all? I think I would be a really rich man if I had that answer. But I, oh, I believe it's on. somewhere between those two. Like <laughs> Looking at the financial numbers, using something like North Beam, Profit Metrics, Wicked Reports or whatever, and say, okay, this is not the full journey, but at least I own that data. I can see the journeys within and then optimize within the channels, but always go back and look at those financial numbers, lifetime value, is it going up? CAC, is it going down? Or can I keep the same level and acquire more customers? That is the truth. Or or something like Chris Mercer? Mercer. Yeah, Mercer. Yeah, yeah the way of looking at top fund, which is probably in attribution, that's probably the hardest thing to actually see some value on because it's not that click ending up making the purchase. There is those seven days or 30 days before looking at okay, I'm doing top funnel Facebook. What do I actually want from this campaign? Is it getting people in looking at a product page for, I don't know, 20 seconds or something like that? Is it doing its job? And then scale that up and then let the retargeting ads optimize those for those last conversions. But actually looking at what is this? YouTube is not for direct conversion. In many cases, it's more like the awareness where you maybe get that brand search in and that converts the user but you need to have some awareness also our cost per lead in youtube is reported as five grand and in reality it's like fifty one hundred dollars and it's actually 207 i spent 150 grand a month on youtube well where and, are you getting those numbers from my crm okay. so if i spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars a month on youtube and it's 95 percent of my ad spend and youtube says your cost per lead is 5100 which is actually down because when we did an episode on this Ralph, it was six grand so it's optimizing using your quotes but my cost per lead inside of YouTube, according to Google, is $5,100. But if I take the number of leads that I'm getting, and they're not attributed to this, but if I turn it off, the leads go away, mm-hmm. right? So that's my dumb way of saying, I think the majority of these leads are coming from YouTube. Right. But that's actually, that was sort of my question. It's like, how do you know? It's the only way to do it. Right. Yeah. When we turn YouTube off, the lead flow all but stops. And exactly. th- if I take those leads and I divide the, the amount of money that I'm spending by those leads, then my cost per lead is 207 bucks. So from five grand to two hundred seven, that's the chasm in attribution that we're dealing with. And then you know what your that conversion rates are yeah. on a lead and everything else to sort of back it in. What am I spending to acquire a customer at the end of the day? Because you know what your conversion rate is on a lead, all things being equal, provided that they're not spammy leads. All things being equal. Right. Yeah. That's where this gets good. This conversation gets more interesting because my cost per lead is two hundred seven dollars, but we also segment leads according to ad spend. Okay. And so the real conversation we have internally is what's our cost per qualified lead? Correct. And then we've tiered our qualified lead and what's the closing ratio of a qualified lead and what's the retention of a qualified lead. But again, it's not hard math. And once we have it, I know what I can spend. And dude, that's the other thing that's really interesting. I could quadruple my budget right now. I have a process problem. We went and hired Cole Gordon's team to help us build out a sales team because we can't take any more leads. But that's a good thing for me to know. And then there's the marketing qualified lead and then there's the actual sales qualified lead. So for us, it's an MQL versus an SQL. And then what's the value in SQL? The MQLs, 
you know, for every five MQLs, it's probably about two to three SQLs. This is getting a little bit granular, but this is the stuff that you actually do need to know. And going back to my CEO example, okay, let's just break down his ad spend. He's doing 70,000. I'll keep round numbers here. This is about right. $70,000 a month in Facebook, about $20,000 a month in Google. And then the remainder of the 10 is content marketing, SEO, and maybe some TikTok. So he's like, well, how do I know? I've got a seven-day cycle, typically, from a lead all the way. He doesn't know what his cost to acquire a customer is because he's not using offline conversions. But for somebody like him, if he wants to scale and grow, what would you tell him? Would you say, cut back your Facebook spend by 20K and see what happens seven days later? Kind of like what Costum did here, or maybe scale up. You know, it's easier to scale back as opposed to like it's going to take, you know, three to five to seven days for things to optimize anyways inside the meta platform. But is it just that simple? Are we breaking things back to like, God, dare I say it, marketing efficiency ratio, looking at a 30,000 foot view of what you're actually bringing in? Or am I being guided somewhere by a wicked report or, you know, North Beam? What would be your sense? I think you can be guided. Yeah going back there, closing or shutting off campaigns or looking at something, it's pretty hard, but some of the platforms Google is coming or they have actually already released it, incrementality test. Look at two cities very similar to each other. One, you don't show any ads, but you actually, Google go in and say, okay, we would normally have shown to this interest group. Okay. Let's talk to our directors of marketing. Incrementality test, we know what it is here, but what is it? Because this is good. This is actually how you figure this stuff out. Go ahead. So just explain that to our listeners. First of all, I'm not an expert in it, but essentially you have two users. One you show a ghost ad or no ad, and the other one shows an ad too. And then you afterwards look at the impact of those two users. How much extra value did it bring to actually show those ads to that user? And this way you actually Mm. have some kind of efficiency of that. What kind of lift did it do to your numbers, revenue, new customers, whatever it is, to actually show ads in YouTube or so on to that audience? And that is instead of closing down, because the problem is also closing down how long is that attribution window you have or how long does it actually take to become a customer? Is it maybe nine months? And also what other channels, when you just take Facebook and you scale it up to 2x, what actually happens in Performance max. It will probably also use more spend because suddenly there's more searches for your products in there. So it's really hard to actually see or have static channels beside that channel you're closing or scaling up. So incrementality is a really good way of doing it. It's also what you do in offline with like TV ads and so on. So in the case of my CEO friend, he has, I think it's 10 spas, maybe it's less, but let's say it's 20 spas, like does a test versus Lemonster and Methuen two towns and figures out incrementality, all things being equal in that particular case. That would be a good way of doing an incrementality test. Yeah. So he has a benchmark before, and then he looks at now these ads are running in this bar. What is actually happening to my numbers? And in the other bar, he has the benchmark and what happens there? Is it just because Corona came around that nobody is going to spars, that there's no sales? So you actually get some more significance than actually just closing it or scaling a channel. And the understanding of a basic thing that you said very briefly is understanding from first touch to becoming a customer what that time span is. 
understanding that we're not getting to incrementality here. These are once again, basic business metrics. So when we talked about it, he's like, I know it takes about seven days. So if I look, the effect of whatever I do will be seen seven days later. But understanding that just as a business owner, like for us, when a lead comes in the door, it's usually about anywhere between 30 to 60 days. So we do like a two month window. It might be longer, it might be shorter. That's about average when a lead or a marketing qualified lead comes in the door. So understanding that is less of a science and more of talking to your sales team and looking at your numbers and just understanding that first and foremost. Awesome. Am I going on another tangent here? No, I couldn't agree with you more, man. It's just the foundation, you know, you start headed in the right direction and you'll get there. But it does feel a little broken recordy. You cannot look at a ROAS from yesterday because you probably spend a lot of money that haven't actually converted yet. You have to look at that window. You're investing in the future. Talk on this. We were really heavy in the real estate lead generation space for almost a decade. And one of the things that we did really well, and I'm not picking on real estate investors, everybody does this. Real estate investors would say, I spent 30 grand in January. How much money did I make in January? So I spent 30 grand and I made $100,000. Okay, you know, we had a 3X. That's not bad. Well, their spend to impact timeline, and we did this study, it was three to six months, depending on the geography. So if you spent 30 grand in January, how much did you make in April? That's the question. You need to know what your spend to impact timeline is. And Ralph, for your buddy, it's seven days, which I don't believe, by the way. Right. I don't believe that for a fraction of a second. At least he had a number. <laughs> I think, well, yeah, <laughs> he does. But it's recently, by your spend to impact ratio is always going to be seven days if you run your campaigns on seven-day approach. But zoom out. What's your spend to impact timeline? And if you spend money today, know when it is I should be reviewing the impact of that. The fact that we're on this weird, forced 30-day recurring trend is absolute insanity. And the fact that we compare to the point that Frederick just made, what we spent today with what we made today, they're irrelevant. They have nothing to do with each other. Literally no connection whatsoever. What you spent this month probably has no impact on how much money you made this month, period. And that comparison is what you're using to make your optimization decisions off. Or you're looking at the wrong metric. Right. You're just you're like, yeah, predictive indications of intent, maybe. Right, right. So in his case, he's yeah. like, hey, I'm getting $70 leads. That's great. I'm like, well, how do you know it's great? It's like, well, I just know it's great because it's the lowest CPL we've had and the business is doing well. I'm like, well, at least that's an indication. But what's the actual thing that he really should be looking at? So in our case study for the personal injury law space, it's like, who cares about phone calls? Who cares about leads? That's important. But a lot of those are going to be slip and fall cases. They're going to be workman's comp cases that aren't going to actually have a lifetime value of ten dollars to $20,000. Millions in some cases, usually anywhere between ten dollars to $20,000. So the thing that we track and we optimize all our Google ads for, and now our Facebook ads for, is the offline conversion, which is a signed case, which is a two to three week window once the lead comes in the door. And then that offline conversion is then zapped back in and then manually uploaded cross-referencing phone numbers. Now we know what a signed case is and we're giving that data to Google and now to Facebook with offline conversions. Go find me more of those guys. I don't care about phone calls and leads and everything else. I care about signed cases for car accidents. And that's another problem with the GA4 that you can actually, if you send something in like server side, let's say it was a real customer, you have some kind of form on your site. You only have three days to send it in. Otherwise, it will not be attributed. So 
You cannot go mm, back yeah. like Google. In Google, you have 90 days. That's the maximum attribution yeah. window for a Google Click ID. So you have 90 days to import it. So there you can actually send some real customers in back to that Google Click and ask Google to come back with more of these rather than just people signing up to a form from somewhere weird in the world. Well, I think that's an important point. <laughs> So now you're using your Google ads as you're reporting and your GA4 is now tossed out the window to our earlier point. Maybe it's actually attributing in the right ways or splitting credit. But in that particular case, use case, now it's, you got to look at your Google ads for your reporting to figure out how effective you're operating your business. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because of the three-day window, which I didn't realize. Yeah, that's from the measurement protocol where you upload conversions through the API. So yeah, you have to do that. If you're any kind of business, service-based business where you have more than three days, then it's really hard. Otherwise, you have to do it on MQLs or SQLs, something that happens pretty fast. But the problem is, are these two MQLs equal? Do we actually just try to get more of those MQLs in that actually never convert? It's pretty hard when you cannot really attribute that Real sale Unless you know through your internal metrics, like we follow all this sort of stuff like MQLs, like for every 10 MQLs, we know it's going to be five SQLs, about. And then of those SQLs, we can sell them a certain thing. And then of those certain things, then we know we're going to close a certain amount. So we do all our math backwards from the beginning all the way to the end. And then we understand, right, what's our lifetime value. So that's how we do it. And I hate to say it, we're doing it old school, like looking at everything from a 30,000 foot view, pulling everything from our master database, which in our case no, is, like, to do it now. is HubSpot. It's kind of just obvious to me you should be doing that. Am I just, you know, <laughs> ignoring the rest of the world? <laughs> <laughs> the problem is just if you're bidding and asking some channel for new customers, but you only have that MQL, let's say a trial, if you mm. don't have that, who of them become a customer, you're actually just asking to maximize the amount of trials. I did it in Facebook. I was asking for trials in Facebook. And what Facebook did was amazing. Suddenly I had a trial of like 20 euros. I got like 50 trials a day. And I thought it was great when we looked at, they never even, they locked into the app and made that trial, but they never did anything in there. So Facebook mm. was doing exactly what I asked it to, but it was not trials I could use for anything, but it had that mm. event of a trial. Right. It was your vanity metric at that point. Exactly. In, exactly. In fact, it, was, it was a great week in trials. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at all these trials we got. We didn't get any customers, but and nobody actually installed the damn thing. But you have to look deeper. Well, you actually did look deeper. And then you figured out, okay, well, that's a faulty metric. That's a vanity metric, even though it looks nice. Yeah, we removed Gmail and Hotmails, and then suddenly they were much more expensive, but it was actually real trials. Ah, of course. Uh, yes, love that. Well, if you can figure out the Google Performance Max lead gen thing, we, we tried to... <laughs> I'm sure yeah, this is probably I heard that episode. Max. I heard that episode. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we still haven't figured that one out. We just don't recommend it, just in general. Even with taking the out the, the flytrap... Mm, didn't work for us. No. Just, and then we just realized it was, it was all these MQLs that were coming in, and then they weren't turning into SQLs for Performance Max. So we just That's gave the up problem. The flytrap works to subvert the bot and click form traffic, but it doesn't mean that the leads are going to be quality. It just means that they'll have a pulse. You know, they're real humans. So the flytrap solves one problem, but then it gives way to yet another problem. And PMAX reaches so far and wide and is very heavy handed. 
So it doesn't surprise me at all that you're seeing unqualified leads. Yeah, that was a three-month-plus trial. I don't know how much we spent. I don't even want to think about it. But it was basically for just a bunch of crap leads. And at the end of the day, we actually thought that we had figured it out with the fly, the honey trap or fly trap, Venus, the costume trap. I don't know what we're calling it, the costume trap. But it still didn't yield the thing that really mattered to us, which is a sales-qualified lead. So it's like, that's for business owners. Like, what's the thing? Yeah, HubSpot have it in beta now with enhanced conversions where you can actually get those forms in and then your different stages in HubSpot, you can upload those with the real deal value and so on. I don't know if it works. Mm. In theory, it should be just like the GA4 new import. It should be (laughs) perfect, but it's cool that you're, or at least I saw that beta, they had HubSpot, which made it really easy for many to do it i don't know if it's released yet we have it on the list of things to test but yes we've seen that coming through what other pieces of advice can we now say in this fractionated world of attribution are we just going back to basics once again or do you have any other recommendations as far as how to sort of solve this mix i think actually a lot of businesses also from our talk here have forgotten the basics they have forgotten that they are actually doing a business that needs to make some kind of profit. They need to cover the fixed cost. They need to know how many new customers are coming in, how much ad spend, what does a new customer actually cost. Those kind of business KPIs have a little bit been forgotten in that new next fantastic hack in Google or Facebook or whatever it is. And I believe that we have to take them a little bit more serious now because this is where we know there is a truth because our numbers in the bank tells us so. It's such a phenomenal point about the basics. There's a glaring need for a mastermind or a cohort or a training or something. I mean, shit, you could call it back to basics. If a really bright entrepreneur built something like that and focused just on these fundamentals, I think that that would be so massively valuable. Maybe it exists, but I don't know about it. Everybody goes advanced. Then they go more advanced and then they go more advanced. And now all the training is for standard deviations more advanced than anybody really can afford because nobody's mastered the basics. That is what we try to do every day, try to get people back on that basics. Like why are you optimizing an e-commerce business based on revenue? You have two orders of $200 each. They look similar. You're spending the same, but one you make $50, the other one you make 100 on. Why don't you try and get some more of those where you make 100 on and less on that one at 50? Why don't you use your real profit? Nobody did it when we started. I only was looking out there because I had a business which went bankrupt, essentially. I had a business where I was scaling. I was doing case studies with Facebook, the first one in Scandinavia, thinking that I was just... Amazing. Once I got some numbers back from my accountant and he didn't add up, I got a new accounting agency to go over these numbers and I just scaled. I hit my target ROAS everywhere. It was great until I got those numbers back and thought I had a big plus on the balance sheet, but actually it was a big minus. And what could I do? I had this huge marketing spend and I knew something was profitable, but now I also knew something weren't and I didn't know which one it was. So I just turned down the ad spend and tried to save that business, but it actually went bankrupt. And then I found an investor, started up again right away, paid out all those creditors and just looked for a solution where I can click on a button and see how much profit did I make the last two weeks after ad spend and fixed costs without any attribution how is my business doing? And why the hell are we using and revenue, including tax, shipping, and everything in Google and Facebook? Why aren't we using the real profit? Because that's 
what all businesses should care about. And that's how I made profit metrics essentially today. And you own the trademark for POAS, which is profit on ad spend. That's a really brilliant paradigm to approach things with. You know what's really funny? This is going to just let everybody know how horrible of a human I am. As an agency owner, POAS really scares me. I mean, being held accountable to ROAS is hard. But if my clients start tracking POAS, I'm like, man, I don't know how well we do there because you know, now you're really naked. Yeah, but it's also churn prevention. As we see it is oh, yeah. that you can do the best marketing ever. You can hit those ROAS targets. You can increase revenue and everything. And the client can still come back three months later and say, what the hell? We got a lot of revenue in. We used a lot of ad spend, but we lost money. What is going on? Using something like the profit and actually that the client is also measuring on that and you are also measuring on that number just aligns the real business financial strategy together with marketing. And this is where, for example, now with inflations, cost price have gone up. A lot of e-commerce business have not put that increased sales price over to the end customer because they don't really want to do it. So suddenly they make much, much less in profit on each conversion. But do they actually remember from the purchasing department to go out and say that to the CMO that need to connect to the agencies that actually we need to increase that target ROAS because we're making less money and we are actually also doing some sales because we need to get more volume in? They forget that where profit will already always be live, where if you change that cost of goods, you'll see that out in Google and Facebook or analytics or whatever channel you're looking at. You would see that profitability go down. So you can also react on it before the client comes and say, what the hell is going on? That's a fun thought exercise. If you were to take inflation on a month over month basis, and then add that as a variable to your spend impact timeline, because the money you spent in January, if it yields in April, the money you spent in January is worth more than the money you got back in April. And nobody should do that, by the way, if you're listening. <laughs> we did the index numbers where we looked at revenue has gone a little bit down. Ad spend is actually year over year in 2022 was a little bit up, probably because what people does is the increased ad spend when less revenue is coming in. But what we could see was the gross profit was going so much down, both because of inflation, but also because customers were just discounting more to keep up that volume. So they were trying to pay more for the customers because there was just less customers out there to bid on. So the in the auctions, they just got more expensive. So it was yeah, a pretty bad flywheel there. You're spending more and making less. We've got an acquaintance who has visibility into thousands of e-commerce businesses. And I can't give more information than that without giving away their identity, but it's very strong visibility into basically all of the financials. And what they've told me is they're seeing a global pullback. It's a near ubiquitous truth. All these e-com businesses, which are generally smaller, you know, sub 20 million in gross revenue, all of them are tightening their belts. And it's exactly what you said, Frederick. First, they boosted ad spend because they were trying to fill in the gaps. And then when that stopped working or didn't work as well as they thought it would, now they're battening down the hatches and they're going to go write out whatever it is that there might be to write out. And that'll be interesting to see whether or not it's, you know, just a chicken little game we're all playing or if there's some wisdom in yeah they're putting too much back on that and because that's also a problem because suddenly those retargeting pools and everything they are drained. oh yeah i mean it's not logical it doesn't make any damn sense it's like oh sales are bad turn off marketing i don't know about that you know like what are, what are we gonna do here but i think the hard thing to do here is to really is to look back at your 
numbers. I guess that's really our bottom line is understanding your profitability. And I love the POAS. We'll leave links in the show notes to your site and everything else. But profitability on ad spend is actually the thing that really matters. And maybe it's not the thing that you want to see. It's the ugly thing that you probably don't want to know, but it's the thing that you should be looking at. Because at the end of the day, it's not how much you sell, it's how much you keep. You know, And that's what sustains a business is profit. And I think it's a false sense of security for a lot of folks. And I think there is also a COVID pandemic, e-com wave, survival of the fittest happening here too. I think there's a ton, a ton of businesses, like a lot of businesses that obviously have done well, even COVID times, post-COVID are now figuring out other ways. Like I was just talking to my next door neighbor who runs an e-commerce store. Like, well, what are you doing now? She's like, I'm going door to door selling my stuff. Like they have golf apparel. Stop it. So they're going, I'm like, literal. Yeah. She's like, I'm going door to door, like in big golf country clubs to sell our stuff front of consumer as opposed to selling online. And I'm like, I love that because everyone thinks, all right, well, online is easy. Like you just, you spend money and then you make money and that's it. Well, times have changed. Maybe businesses should be looking at things like that, going a little bit more less scalable. And I told her, I was like, the less scalable stuff is sometimes the stuff that you can actually get to a point where you can eventually scale it. And it might be the most profitable is doing all that hustling. So I think at the very least coming out of today's episode is go back and look at your numbers. Spend a half a day in the morning. Instead of going through email or Slack or whatever, lock out your calendar from like eight till noon and go back through these numbers and really figure it out. Maybe have your CFO send you some reports. Understand your numbers before you start blaming increased ad spend or your agency, your all these things. You should know all these numbers. Cost to acquire a customer. You should know your lifetime value. You should know how many customers you acquired last year and how much it cost you from an ad spend or a marketing standpoint. How many customers you actually have and what their lifetime value is at a three, six, nine, 12 month period. And then you should know your profitability over ad spend. That's the end result here in order to grow things online because none of this stuff is going to get any easier. And it compound the fact that inflation, cost of goods sold, is going to continue to increase. And CPMs, in my opinion, or in my experience, have never gone down. They always increase every year. So it's going to become more and more challenging, which makes all of this basic stuff even more important. So soapbox number three here for the episode, but Frederick, awesome. You know what we need, dude? Yeah. What? We need an event. I think we need. We should have a perpetual traffic event. We probably should, shouldn't we? There's a need in the market. There was a traffic-specific event. They sunset it last year. It was, it was PPC Hero was what it was called. Do you remember yeah. that? I was lined up to speak. And then they're like, oh, by the way, we're not doing it. But if we had a perpetual traffic event, you could even split up the event according to the sequences that people should be going through. Like the first third of the event is just foundation setting. And we bring in somebody like Frederick to talk about like, hey, here's how you actually calculate POAS. We'd actually have to bring in Frederick POAS because he owns the <laughs> trademark. But you know what I mean? Like we help people set up their foundation for the first third. And then the second third is like, all right, here's how you build, which is what everybody wants to hear. And then the last third is here's how you manage and scale. And you bring in people for a couple of days. You've got the the listeners to launch an event, even if it was small, dude. The amount of content that would come out of that would be unbelievable. I don't think events never make any damn money. True. But the networking, the finger to the pulse, building the community, I think that'd be a lot of fun. 
Well, more on that in future episodes. We'll certainly have to brainstorm about. <laughs> <laughs> but Frederick, where can people find you? Like, what's the best way to get in contact with you? You know, the socials or your website, all that. Yeah. I would say LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm most active. Or go in and shoot a mail to support at ProfitMetrics.io, and somebody on my team can shoot it to me. But I will say, yeah, LinkedIn. That's probably where I am the most active. And we'll leave a link to the post that we've referred to a couple of times here on LinkedIn. Definitely follow Frederick on LinkedIn and check out profitmetrics.io. I want to thank you all for listening here. Multiple soapboxes. And now we have an event. Apparently, we're going to have to start planning <laughs> for the perpetual traffic event. So stay, t- stay tuned for more details on that. <laughs> Make sure that you do subscribe and leave a rating wherever you're listening. Follow me over on LinkedIn and Kasim on Twitter at Kasim Aslam. And go back and listen to previous episodes. And check out our YouTube channel. We've got perpetual traffic on YouTube. We had a complaint that is very confusing. And it is because there's like three perpetual traffics. Anyway, look for the one with me and Kasim's smiling face. You know, we need a link tree. We need a link tree. Yes, we do. Even better. We don't even have to. It would shorten our exit. You could just be like, go to the link tree well, and all the We'll leave links in the show notes at the very least. But there you go. yeah, we'll do that. We'll leave a link in the show notes to Perpetual Traffic YouTube. All resources and show notes are perpetualtraffic.com. Of course, everything we mentioned here will be there as well. On behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam. Peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic 